But first let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you would open our ears so that we might hear your words. We ask that you would open our hearts so that we might respond. Amen. Uh, well, in 2018, two Adelaide University students received suspended jail, jail sentences uh, after pleading guilty to bribing a public officer. Uh, Abdul Kajani, aged 23, said he'd been too anxious to take a driving test, uh, so he sent his friend uh, Ethan Quadros, aged 24, instead. He didn't take the driving test either, but paid the examiner a $450 bribe. So uh, the following year, the licensed examiner who accepted the bribe, Joe Demachki, aged 38, pleaded guilty to accepting that and quite a few other bribes, uh, and in 2020, he was sentenced to six years in prison. So meanwhile, in Wales, uh, a 29-year-old mother of one from Swansea recently admitted to taking driving tests on behalf of others. She said she charged £700 for theory tests and £800 for practical tests. Uh, she admitted to court uh, to impersonating up to 150 people, um, but police could only um, prove 63 cases. Uh, so last year she was sentenced, in July 2022, she was sentenced to eight months in prison. Now, uh, I don't know what your, um, how you personally react to a driving test. Uh, if you're coming up to age 85, you'll have to face one soon. Um, so you may get sweaty palms just, just thinking about it. I remember a friend of mine returning to school after a driving test saying, they failed me on a technicality. I backed into a telegraph pole. <laughs> so I think we'd agree a driving test itself is not a bad thing. Uh, in fact, if you pass the test, it adds to your confidence. Uh, you might have thought you were a good driver, uh, but now an independent uh, expert has confirmed that. And I think more importantly, it plays a role in ensuring uh, the public good. We can feel safer on the road knowing that the other drivers are licensed, uh, not just anyone's allowed to get behind the wheel of a car. So, uh, so if you were here last week, you would have heard uh, that this is, is the way that James looks at tests and trials. Uh, our natural reaction may not to look forward to a test or trial, not to enjoy it, but they can have a positive outcome. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, James said in uh, verse 2, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, verse 3. So uh, the test had this role of character building. And then in verse 12, the verse before we're looking at today, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. So not just a driving license here, but the crown of life. So uh, while we may not look forward to a test, uh, it might have a wonderful outcome. Uh, but as we've seen in those court cases from, from Adelaide, to Wales, a driving test can also be the scene of illegal activity. So the test itself is not bad, but it can be the occasion for wrongdoing. And this is a topic James turns to now. James points out that testing or trials may become the occasion of temptation. They're not the source of temptation, but they may be the occasion when temptation occurs. So God can send it as a trial or a test while he may do that God does not tempt us God does not entice us to evil so if you can see verse 13 there it is when tempted no one should say God is tempting me 
and at the end there, God does not tempt anyone. So there is an important distinction here. God uh, can try us, God can test us, but God does not tempt us. Uh, in my work I can set a test for my students to see how much physics they know. I hope they've learned a lot. I hope they can show me that in the test. Uh, but if a student decides to cheat in the test, to copy an answer, have something written on their hand, that wrongdoing can't be laid at my feet, the feet of the tester. So this is what verse 14 talks about, uh, if we can go on. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So it's not the physics test that is the source of the cheating. It's not the driving test is the source of bribery or corruption. It is a person who reacts wrongly to the test. And the woman in Wales told police she'd been tempted by the money, and that's why she broke the law. So trials and tests come from God, but not temptation and sin. These do not come from God. A test may be an occasion for sin, but it is not the cause of sin. And I think it might help to think about this in completely the opposite way. So a trial, such as being sick, might cause us to complain against God, but the opposite, a blessing, being healthy, might cause us to ignore God. We can sin when God uh, makes us sick. We can sin when God makes us healthy. We can't blame God for our sin in either circumstance, in either the trial or the blessing. Bosco Peters puts it like this, when things go well, and we do well, we are tempted to pride. When things go badly and we do poorly, we are tempted to envy and resentment and anger. When life is good and we are wealthy and all is fine, we are tempted to forget about God. And when there is disaster and adversity, we are tempted to lose faith and cease trusting in God. Well, now let's look at verse 15, which depicts a progress of temptation. Then, after desire has conceived... It gives birth to sin, and sin, when full-grown, brings death. So temptation can lead to sin, but it doesn't have to. I see what James says, after desire has conceived, but desire does not have to conceive. Evil desire, temptation, can remain an unfertilized egg. It doesn't have to give birth to sin. You can take two pieces of uranium, put them together, create a critical mass, start a chain reaction and have a nuclear explosion. But you don't have to bring the two pieces together, the subcritical masses. You can leave the uranium in the ground. Temptation does not have to be acted upon. It can be left unconsummated. It can be left subcritical. So the woman in Wales, she saw the chance to make money illegally. That was desire, that was temptation. But that was not sin. When she acted on that, when that conceived into sin, when she took the money, that was sin. David saw Bathsheba on the roof. There was temptation. But that in itself was not sin. When David took Bathsheba, that was sin. In contrast, Potiphar's wife asked Joseph to lie with her. That was temptation, but it was not sin. Joseph took the opposite route of David. Joseph fled. The temptation was left unconceived. Sin was not born. 
As we heard in the first reading, there's a wonderful verse in 1 Corinthians 10.13 about this. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Joseph had a way out and he took it. He ran away. There will always be a way out, a way to escape temptation. Sometimes it might be hard to find. Maybe it feels like you're in an escape room and you, you, you know there's an exit somewhere but you can't find it. But often the way out is very clear. There's a big sign that says, exit. So when temptation is there, licking at us like flames, don't hesitate, don't wait around, make for the exit. We cannot avoid temptation, but we can flee from it and not let it take hold, not let it take root. And Martin Luther put it this way, temptations of course cannot be avoided because we cannot prevent birds from flying over our heads, but there is no need we should let them nest in our hair. So shoo those birds off, you can't stop them flying overhead, you can stop them nesting in your hair. Flee from temptation, don't let desire conceive. Well these verses 13, 14, 15 have been about temptation and making this key point that it is not from God. And now in verse 16 we have a, a sort of a pivot or a hinge and then in verse 17 and 18 the tables are turned and we see what is from God. Uh, so verses 17 and 18 if you like are the reverse of verses 13 to 15. So what comes from God, not temptation, what comes from God is every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from our Heavenly Father. And then in verse 18, uh, the tables are turned about this idea of birth, uh, this idea of generation. We saw before that evil desire, if conceived, can give birth to sin, which gives birth to death. But here we see the opposite sort of birth, birth through the word of truth, through the gospel. And the result is not sin and death, the result is is life and goodness, the first fruits, the best fruits, the first, the pick of the crop. The seed of the gospel can fall on bad ground, it can be lost, but if it falls on good soil and conceives, it, bring, it yields, it, if it yields in a bounteous crop. So here's the choice. Are we going to let evil desire take hold of us and produce despair? Or are we going to let the word of God, the word of truth, be implanted in our lives, take hold of us and produce a bumper crop. We should get rid of evil and turn to God. This is summed up if we can jump ahead a couple of verses in verse 21, which says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. It's a summary, if you like, of those verses 13 to 15, uh, 13 to 15 about temptation and sin and evil. And, and these verses 17 and 18 about the goodness that comes from, from the word of God. So James is saying get rid of evil, be done with it, put it behind you, have nothing to do with it. That's part one. And then part two, humbly accept the word that is planted in you. In other words, hear the gospel, believe the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Humbly trust in Jesus. And the result, you can see at the end of the verse, is that you will be saved. This can save you. So, uh, so the language here is getting rid of taking something off, taking off the dirty clothes of moral filth, the evil, laying those aside, 
putting on the righteousness that comes from God, that's from the word of God. So verse 21 to sum up, put off evil, take up God's goodness. In other words, turn from evil, trust in Jesus and you'll be saved. Well, how does a saved person act? Uh, James gives some specific examples here. We might backtrack to verse 19 and see uh, what James says about speaking and listening. Uh, it's said that we've got two ears and one mouth uh, so that we might listen twice as much as we talk. Uh, we should be good listeners. We should be uh, quick listeners. Uh, we should be careful talkers. Slow to unmute, you might say. And uh, going then into uh, verses nine, well, going into verse 20, we should be slow to become angry. We should count to 10 or maybe to 20 or 100. And why, before you unmute, and why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger does not serve God's purposes. Well, in the following verses, uh, verses 22 to 24, James continues with the theme of the word, the word of God, the gospel. James explains that then uh, receiving, humbly receiving the word, which was the language in verse 21, uh, requires us then not merely to listen to the word, uh, but to do more, to do what it says. And if James was writing today, he might say, it's like you're in a Zoom meeting and you see there is a mess behind you, uh, but you don't even blur it or put on a virtual background. Uh, Kitty Flanagan, Rule 618, says, keep one small, small corner of your house tidy. Normally during Zoom meetings, I spend a lot of time squinting into the screen trying to work out exactly what is in that pile behind you. Is it clean or dirty washing? Is that a dog ferreting around or a weird-looking baby? So you can see that on the screen and do nothing about it. James is saying we should act on what we see, on what we hear. Uh, and then in verses 26 and 27, at the end, uh, James talks about the importance of not only of what we say, uh, but what we do and what we avoid. Uh, we should control our tongues. Uh, that's there in verse 26, uh, just as uh, a rain controls a horse. We should support the most vulnerable in our society. Uh, in, the next, in the next verse, uh, and the, uh, this includes the poor, the weak. Uh, it uses language here, which is very similar to the language we heard in Psalm 68. God is a father of the fatherless, a defender of the widows. And we should look out for those types of people as well. And finally, uh, the last words of this uh, section, we should keep ourselves from evil. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. Amen.